The Courage to Grow is business. The Big Small Business Show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today. Hello, my name is Alon Reyes and this is the Big Small Business Show. On our menu for today, we have our regular panel discussion and today we are interviewing Michelle Thackray and Fats Maluleka from Mina Nawe Marketing. We're going to be talking about their business that has grown quite exponentially over the last couple of years and the business has a particular problem which is un in uneven distribution of demand at one part of the year. If your business has, is one of those businesses where you have peaks and troughs in terms of your demand, this is uh, something not to miss. We are continuing our leadership series with Dr. Nick Ebel and the topic today is personal leadership. Well, it's all about archetypes, uh, how you should determine your own archetype first and then do research on the archetypes of your customers. This is a, a truly intriguing interview and something that is not to be missed. But do bring your pen and paper to take lots of notes as I did. Our expert slot is somebody who we all know, it's Mona Lisa Sam. And today she is going to be on the other end of uh, this table here. And she's going to be talking about a retail mashup otherwise known as business unusual. If you are a small retailer and you're battling to get people into your store, this is one to watch for you. We want to welcome back, Mona Lisa has been away for the last two weeks, but come back nice in blue, pretty yes, in blue. Yes, I'm here to <laughs> bring yeah, back the colors. Okay, very, very summery. <laughs> Thanks, Alon. <laughs> right, and of course, uh, Kumaran Padiachi, who is our finance guru, and is wondering what abuse I'm going to be throwing at him today. <laughs> our guests today in studio are Michelle Thackray, who is GM at Mina Nawe Marketing, and Fats Maluleka, who's a long time and hands-on employee, been with the business for the last 12 years. This is a niche marketing company and their focus is on the emerging informal market, primarily LSMs 4 to 8 in townships across the country. Let's have a look. Mina Nawe is a marketing business offering unique services, exclusively focusing on understanding the main market consumer and activating face-to-face -face brand encounters for the mass market. Gigi Alcock, the CEO of the company, and Michelle Thakwe, the shareholder and executive director, have tapped into the massive informal economy, finding various ways of bringing potential big clients to invest in the emerging informal market. There is this massive informal economy within this, in South Africa that people don't know about because we can't measure it. So we've got this economy, um, this township, informal township economy that is worth billions, um, which really talks up your Pakistanis, your Somalians, etc., all of the foreign-owned tra uh, foreign traders who've come into this country. 
and who've actually contributed to the economy in this country. So what we do as a, as a business is we look for insights and potentials to tap into that informal economy uh, from that point of view. We saw this potential to actually assist our consumers in terms of making decisions and the correct decisions at that stage. And I think at this point, for me, one needs to understand that yes, this is a commercial entity, but there is also an ethical um, understanding. You don't want consumers at the end of the day to be just buying something that we actually don't believe in. The business has been in operation for over 10 years, moving from employing a staff of five to 22 full-time employees, hiring 500 promoters across the country, and making a turnover of over 50 million rand in the last financial year. Any project comes in, we, that's me. You know, we go out and do the inside and find out what uh, basically is this going to work for us or this is not going to work for us. So before I can do any, before we take any project, I do the research. When I started working here, it was more of starting working as a manager to hire people to come work for us. But now the disadvantage is that, you know, most of the time I have to train people and you take people that do, know, do not know anything. And I have to train them from nothing to be something. With the business facing challenges of wanting to upscale dramatically once attaining clients, Gigi and Michelle seek to find ways of bringing more potential big clients to invest in the emerging informal economy. Right now, the informal market is growing exponentially and that a lot of the marketers as well as the formal trade, unfortunately, are seeing, because the formal trade is seeing a decline in terms of their, their purchasing patterns. But what we're seeing in the informal trade is there's a massive um, growth within that market but because you can't measure it and because it's uh, not tangible um, and because Nielsen doesn't uh, basically give us the data for that at the end of the day it's very difficult for us to often substantiate to the client exactly why they should be investing in this market. Now Michelle's short-term goal is to be the go-to agency for mass market be it consumer, shopper, or route-to-market activations. They also recently created client service and operations business units in the company with the goal to put the right people into the right positions to ensure smooth delivery on client briefs. Welcome, both of you. Thank you very yeah, much. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Right, so, so the first part, I'm going to get some clarifying questions out of the way. Sure. So how, let's start with you. How do you get the work? How does why do people choose your business over the many others that are in the industry? So I think what makes us unique is our insights um, driven approach to, uh, to any campaign. We get a brief from a client, we then look at that brief, we then go into the environment or into the marketplace and we'd actually do a lot of research around that. Um, and Jay's Fluid is an example where Jay's Fluid basically comes across as a disinfectant. But actually what we did was we found that Jay's Fluid did more than that. It actually protected the home from evil spirits as well. So what we did was we brought that insight into the campaign that we developed for um, Tiger Brands. Um, so, so, so Fats, um, when you get the order in, what, what is the process now? The, the research is done, the, the design, the brief is d d designed. What, do you, what is your role? What is the role wha in the actual execution? So my process will be to train, will be training the staff mm -hmm. to what I've researched and also making sure that all the, all the guys that will be promoting whatever that will be running 
is to make sure that we do exactly what we've told the client and what the research told us what to do as well. And wh when you find these the people who are going to, to be trained, where, are they just random people off the street? Are these people that you use time and time again? How do you find these people? Well, we've got people that use time and time, and also we just get people from the street, which we train them from nowhere to be somewhere. Michelle, come, it's coming to yes. you. The, the, the types of clients that you have, are they predominantly uh, consumer, consumer goods, or are there services in there? They're primarily FMCG clients, but we do do a lot of work with the likes of a BevCan, for, for argument's sake, with some of the, your um, financial institutions, etc. So it's not just um, within, that, within that scope. It is quite broad. Okay. Monalisa? I wanted to then ask, um, based on the campaigns that you do, and obviously the deliverable is to the client, but in um, being able to market and your, your differentiator, how does, how does a, a, a non-existing client know about you and how, how would they rate your success? Um, when you say non-existing client, so we... Some, so someone you potentially see as a client but isn't a client yet. Oh, okay. So, so we're quite good at cold calling. Mm -hmm. We have a division that actually looks after that. Her name is Nancy. And Nancy will go and knock on doors um, in terms of where we see potential within the industry. Mm -hmm. But, of course, we don't work on competitor clients. That is one of our, mm -hmm. our sort of ethical approaches towards the business. Um, but, yeah, Nancy yeah. is... And just to add as well, we're also put into an imagine. So which will come to a company to say, look, let's take you and let's go and see your product there. Mm. That's where we do our best as well. So you'll know us. Mm. Could you just give us the sense of the, the, the main issue you want us to resolve? To, to assist with yeah, this. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so I think one of the biggest challenges that we have is that we're a, a medium-sized business. And at the end of the day, you've got 12 months of the year. Often clients, um, is particularly in the marketing industry, um, and they're split into their four quarters, quarter one and quarter two can often be very dead, whereas quarter three and ququarter four are just over, over sort of engineered. And what happens is you've got a existing staffing structure that's got to manage that entire process throughout the year. So in quarter three and quarter four, when we're running 90% of our business, or let's be more realistic, probably 60% of our business, we have to do it with the same amount of staffing structure. Mm. So gearing up individuals is fine, but those individuals need to be trained. And that training process takes a long time. So how do we then still deliver excellence within that short period of time? That's also very well, well uh, uh, that's a nice frame. frame. Great. It's time for us to take a, a break and uh, we'll be right back with more questions straight after this. Welcome back and thanks for spending your time with us. Now our guests in studio today are uh, Michelle Thackeray and Fats Maluleka from Minanawe Marketing. This is a niche marketing company and one of their key offerings is to create brand activations for their clients in the informal economy. Before the break we were, we were trying to get a sense of where the work came from, uh, what the issue was and how, how training took, took place. 
Your, your turn, Kumaran. Right. So if I understand the uh, problem or the challenge is that first half of the year, your revenue and contracts are like this, Correct. and the second half of the year, there's a marked 50% jump, mm -hmm. and then how do you maintain that staffing and, and get them up and running? So how have you tried to solve that problem? Very briefly, how have you tried to solve that problem before? Well, what we've done, unfortunately, is we, we've ha have to have extend our staff. Um, so, in other words, where staff know that the first half of the year is kind of, I wouldn't say downtime, um, but the second half of the year, they kind of mentally gear themselves up for the fact that they're going to be working exceptionally long hours Anything from that else point of view. Anything else you've tried? Um, no. Not really. No. So, for me, this seems, uh, uh, and it's a clarifying question, it seems a result or a consequence of the type of clients you got. Mm. Correct. So if it's a lot of them are FMCG, then they're all going to be Christmas kind of crunch, right? That's why it's weighted there. So do you have a target market selection strategy or you just take what's there so you're living with the problem by default rather than creating the solution by design? I hear what, what you're I'm saying and I think what we've tried to do with our clients in the past and, and ongoing is to ensure that they've got a calendar of events as opposed to it all being sort of in the second what we call um, quarter three or quarter four um, and, and really trying to give them that year's worth of activity from that point of view and I think it really does come from us from the point of view that we need to actually start challenging our clients and actually start um, uh, changing their mindset in terms of that market space. But if if you've got certain FMCG and there's th this industry is inherently biased or bent towards this way, are there other sectors that are perhaps bent towards the first half so you even it out? Uh, to, to an extent, absolutely. I mean, you look like at the. It's like you're summarizing. Uh, I should ask the question. Yeah, he does it all the time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to come to you, Fats, and, and, yeah. and ask the, the question around the FMCG guys who. Um, if you look at, let's take three or four clients, yeah. what percentage of the training that you provide would be similar? So if you, s if you say you've got a client X, a client Y, and client Z with, with three different products, mm. and you've got three different training trainings yeah. or, or teams, what percentage of the base training would be the same for all three? Well, it will be, the percentage will be Plus minus. Plus minus, I'll say 10%. Only 10%? Yeah. No number. Okay, 90% yeah. is brand new per client. Yeah, yeah it's brand Customized, new. bespoke. Yeah, yeah for okay. sure. Okay. Well, that killed Martha. <laughs> 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 I think that's what makes us unique, is that yeah. we don't just have an off-the-shelf product sure. yeah. from that point of view. And I, I really do endorse what Fat says from the point of view that, yes, there's basic training, but every single activation that we do has a different nuance. For sure. No, no, so Clarifying question, because yes. when he started off in the early segment, uh, Fat said that the staff use them again and again and again. Yes, yes. So what Elon is asking is not that the program or the project I creativity is different or the same, yes. but do you use the, are you using the same staff yeah, for each project? You can use the same staff for some project, but you can add as well. But what factor of the same staff are you using for each project? 10%? No, you've probably got a, about 80% of the staff okay. that yeah. we retain from yeah. that point of view. Absolutely. So the basic training is in place, but it's how each client needs to actually, yeah, sure. their, their creativity or their concept needs to roll but out, 80 which is staff. different. 
Mm. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Melissa, we've dominated too much, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually ready for summary. Mm. But um, what I wanted to, to ask in terms of just the calendar of events, is, yes. it, yeah. is it how I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to, to, to be uh, confident that there's an assurance in terms of how you're driving the clients to spread the work out versus still having the same annual problem of concentration in the last part of the year. So how are they receiving or how are you encouraging them um, in that spreading out of calendar events? What initiatives can they take on? And I agree with you. And I think, as I said earlier, it is really about us pushing back to clients and saying, you know, you've got a year, you've got 12 months, you want to be in that space over the 12 months. How do you actually do it? But what often happens in the marketing industry is towards the last half of the year, there's surplus funds that are, that are made available because someone hasn't spent somewhere away. And then we've got to start plugging those holes. Mm. Um, so that is a, a lot where the kind of the challenge lies from that perspective. Um, but certainly it is about in my mind it's about coaching the client and, and getting them to see the big picture on an annual basis okay and what percentage of your clients have you succeeded with doing that one of our key clients which is Palmolite which we've work, worked with for the last 11 years we've got a very good relationship on that basis and it has been ongoing and we've really tried to explain to them the the essence and the importance of having visibility throughout the course of the year but I suppose when you are on uh, your e exponential growth trajectory you know it's, there's a lot of new clients who are untrained in inverted Correct. Mm -hmm. right. absolutely and because you don't want to lose those clients so yeah. you take them on um, and a lot of the the work that we do with the guys is pilot projects because we want them to get an understanding because a lot of our clients don't understand the informal market so we do a pilot project and then we look to to sort of expand that in the following year, which allows us then to, 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 to an extent, actually just make sure that we can sort of streamline their process throughout the year versus it being seasonal challenges. Cool, that's a good place to, to stop. We're going to an ad break right now. Right after that, we'll come back with our summaries. Kumaran, of course, has uh, already snuck in part of his summary in part two. Uh, <laughs> so he cheated a bit, but so I'm gonna start with you, Manalisa, to give you a lot of time to summarize so he gets less. <laughs> <laughs> A warm welcome back now. Our guests today in studio are Michelle Thackeray and Fat Maluleka from Mina Nawe Marketing. This is a niche marketing company and one of their key offerings is to create brand activation for their clients in the informal economy. Before the break we were discussing, or well, Kamaran was summarizing, that's what was really <laughs> happening, but, uh, but we were trying to understand uh, the, the types of clients and what the actual issue was. Um, and we're going to start off with Mona Lisa with uh, your summary. Okay. Um, I think there's two things for me. Um, one which Kumaran mentioned in his pre-summary um, was <laughs> 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 is the fact that um, I think then my, 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 my view is that there needs to be an approach of new um, clients in different sectors that have the either no presence in the informal market mm. or very inconsistent presence because as you've rightly said they don't understand the dynamics within that market and what happens within let's say a pilot of a of a family or a youth within a solid year and that's got to do with um, a lot to do with the education approach that you would then um, you know use for that client to to show sustainability and to show the, the value 
of that presence. That's the first thing. Um, I think the second thing for me, um, and maybe I, I didn't get it from the website and we weren't able to interrogate it, I think you're doing a hell of a lot of good work, but I'm not sure that it's out there to the clients to start to change their mindsets. It's still driving the clients to say, we're going to do this over the December period, we're going to do because that's when we want massive sales. It's not saying we want to be part of this economy, we want to be consistently part of the evolutions within that economy and the changes, and that it cannot just be over a one period. So it's something that you've got to collect within your work and start to coach and educate new existing and potential clients are on the value of being consistently in that market. So a bit of a change in the approach um, would, I would be my summary. Come on, your second summary. So you're a services-based business. Absolutely. And my guess is in the audience, we also have a lot of services-based businesses. <coughs> and we've had a lot of services-based business sitting in the show. And the common challenge here is demand versus supply because it's project-related work yeah. and you have to maintain this fixed cost of staff while you're doing that. So it's a common challenge whether your type of services or accounting services, legal, doesn't matter. Uh, I want to frame the issue here in my solution very briefly as design versus default. It's okay. either you're in the, in the space of living with the problem by default or designing the solution to the problem. Mm. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's a reactive versus proactive. And, and so if you designed your strategy around that, and there's two suggestions I can make practically, then perhaps you can even out the issue. So the one thing I would suggest is look to balance off a different sector yes. that is not loaded at the Christmas end. Mm -hmm. um, that, would, that would weight it. The second, if it's not possible or doesn't bridge the gap significantly, think of a different activity you can do in the lower period uh, with your staff that you can uh, generate different revenue. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can get, be getting them doing research or other types of things that you could sell that data or those reports. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's another revenue sure. line using them in that period. Because there are other industries like agriculture and the like that have to live with this type mm -hmm. of thing and they design around it. Yeah. So those are the two things, okay. but design versus default. Thank you. No. So for me, I, I, I'm in total agreement with, with both my colleagues here. I just want to maybe add a different, in addition to uh, perspective. So for, for me, the fact that you've come from 5 to 55 or basically 10 times your size over the last couple of years, I, I think that's phenomenal and you're obviously doing something right. What I have seen over the years is that the the... It, it becomes a very dangerous period now because as businesses become bigger and bigger, you get more and more clients, you get more and more staff, the level of complexity becomes um, exponential, not, not linear. Mm -hmm. And if your systems aren't in place, mm. they basically crash. I would guess that you are in that very approaching or in that very vulnerable stage now with the systems that worked when you were doing 20 million, uh, part of those are still in place and are, are, are you know, shaking as this airplane is taking off. I would spend a disproportionate amount of my time right now around re-engineering the systems. So that, that would be about creating efficiency through this time because you could take some of the pressure out by being more efficient, yeah. right? Yeah. The second thing is that I would, I know that I know it's a great sales thing to say 10%. And whether it is or isn't is irrelevant. So if it is, move it to 30. So 70% is still good. 
you still have to take some pressure out, out the, the system. So I would look to see what is honestly re replicable across multiple um, clients. 70% bespoke is still a wonderful uh, outcome. Mm. So you might have to lose a little bit of, of that pride around that there. Yeah, sure. But the, the last thing I think is the most important thing is your relationship with a business that ha is, is cyclical. What I, um, I did my thesis on, by the way, was on a cyclical uh, oh business. Okay. No. My parents had an umbrella factory and, and, and uh, it rains in summer and, it's, and, and it's, uh, you have sun umbrella, beach umbrellas in summer. So it had the same cycle. And, and the, the issue really is a personal relationship with the business that is cyclical. So you can solve it in these ways. But a big part of, of solving this is your relationship as in, this is what it is. Mm. It's going to be a high pressure during this time. I, I rest up before that, and that's what it is. And you don't treat it as, as a naughty child. You treat yeah. it as a gift that yeah. comes once a year. And I think that's a, another, another way to look at it as well. All and right. I, and I think that's yeah. pretty much what we've kind of learned to adapt to a little bit in the last one. After the break, I'm joined by Dr. Nick Erbel, CEO of Reciprocation Marketing Academy. And we're going to discuss archetypes and how important it is to know where you fit in so that you can develop your personal leadership style. We'll be right back. A warm welcome back. This is the Big Small Business Show. We are continuing our series on leadership, and my guest in studio today is Dr. Nick Ebel. He is CEO of Reciprocation Marketing Academy and the founder of Future of, of Leadership Forum. Our topic today is personal leadership. Now, for those of you who don't know Dr. Nick Erbel, uh, he, is, he used to be a lecturer at uh, UKZN, uh, uh, where uh, he then moved to become uh, the person who designed the brand ambassador program for the 2010 World Cup. Um, he was a writer for the Business Day for three years on the World Cup. He wrote, wrote a, a whole series of articles on that. And uh, he is the host of Future of Leadership Forum, uh, which we spoke about earlier. Welcome back. Thank you. So today we're talking about personal leadership. and. Um, I think when we think about leadership, I think most of us think it is a personal thing. We, last week we spoke about uh, innovation leadership and the various types of leadership. So what is your angle on personal leadership? I think it's the most important form of all leadership uh, uh, types because you've got to lead yourself. You've got to lead and master your own life. And you've got to do it in a way that you you keep abreast of the trends and that you stay ahead. Uh, it's a very noisy environment. It's a very noisy world. It's a very crazy world we live in. There's a lot of disruption. And I think it's very important that we stay true to our core. You know, I, I once did a, uh, I was privileged enough to do a, a course on leadership uh, overseas at one of the fancy universities. And they spoke about uh, keeping your, your true north, keeping to your, your true north. You know, about keeping to your core with all that noise. Is that, is that what you're talking about, about keeping very to much, your core? Very much. In fact, there's two components that I believe constitutes a core. And the first one is the archetype, mm -hmm. which is your personal archetype, which is your personal out of the 12 ultimate personality types, which is the one that you want to live. And Give so, me an example of one. Well, for example, and 
I would like to use Nelson Mandela Madiba here. Uh, he started off as the warrior archetype. Um, and then later, and it was a deliberate transformation, and he confided once to Bill Clinton that he deliberately transformed his archetype into the magician, which is all about bringing forth a vision, raising the energy, uniting people behind the bigger picture. Um, so it is very important. Now, these archetypes go back thousands of years. They are part of our DNA. They are ingrained in our soul. Um, you need to study them, and you need to pick the one that you want to live. Mm -hmm. um, because what they do, once you adopt an archetype, they establish trust. When you align your persona around that archetype, people will trust you a lot more because you're a lot more congruent. So just, so just um, I'm fascinated with these archetypes. Could you name uh, maybe one or two others? Sure, sure. It's the innocent that yeah. starts off. Right. Uh, it's the explorer. It's the warrior. It's the lover. It's the ruler, a very prominent archetype. It's the uh, jester. Mm -hmm. And for example, brands like Nando's, it's all positioned around the jester archetype. It's a sage. It is the magician. Um, it is the disruptor. That's why, for, for, for example, some people that are disruptors fascinate us so much because they are true to that archetype. So, so these archetypes are there, these 12 archetypes there. I, I align myself to, to one of them that resonates with me. What are the clues that I need to look for when it's time to transition from one archetype to the other? Well, what you need to look for is your mission. What is it you want to achieve? And that's actually what Mandela looked for. And his mission clearly is encapsulated in the most famous words of the 20th century, which he spoke at the Rivonia trial, when he said his uh, last words where he was calling for a world of equal opportunity and harmony. And think about it, he was prepared to die for that. That's how strong a mission it was, and that's how strongly he believed in his mission. And he went all the way to create this world of equal opportunity and harmony. So, so he went from, you said, from warrior yeah. to, to magician. That's right. right. But, but not to sage or to... Um, didn't he, I mean, I'm trying to work out why you say... Um, because the magician is very transformative. The magician has the ability to transform mindsets, to transform people, to transform a country. And that's really what he did. And he rallied everybody behind one common objective, which was obviously at the time reconciliation. So now I'm watching this. I, I'm thinking, well, I love this idea. I, I, buy, I buy the concept of these 12 uh, archetypes. I think about which one of the 12 you mentioned sort of resonates with me. What I do day to day to practice this, because I'm sure you don't just think I'm going to become uh, the, the magician or the sage, and then I am. There's a, there's a, there must be a form of practice. No, it's very, in business, it's very, very, very practical. You need to do three things, and I've got the online assessments on my website. First of all, you need to decipher mm -hmm. and assess your own archetype. Because what you find in business, the best brands are the ones where the founder somehow manages to infuse their archetype into the company. Let's talk about Virgin. Richard Branson, I mean, he infused this archetype, the explorer, into that company. So what is your own archetype? What is your brand archetype for the business? Then the second thing you have to do, you have to align your employees. And they're very clear guidelines. You have to sit down with your employees and get their consensus on the archetype and then break it down and there are clear guidelines on what exactly constitutes the culture of an explorer, what constitutes the culture of a magician brand. 
And thirdly, you then need to look at your customers because your customers all also behave according to their own archetype. And you need to understand which archetype or archetypes you're targeting in your customers and how do they tick? What is it that motivates them? And then you have a fully aligned brand archetype. We've, we've got time just for one more question here. Steve Jobs is also a, a huge icon in the business world and, and you know, has, has substantially impacted the way we, we live from day to day. Um, what archetype do you think he was? Well, he started off with a great question. He started off as, as the outlaw. If you think about the 1984 ad against IBM, Big Brother, Apple Macintosh was the outlaw. He then transitioned with a think different campaign, 96, I think, around the Explorer, okay. and then moved into the magician because the Apple became a transformative brand. Okay. And do you think he was that deliberate? You know, I, I, I watched uh, something the other day around certain people in terms of their, their appearance and how deliberate they are about their appearance. Do you think that uh, Steve Job, Dobbs was deliberate about his appearance and about what he represented or just was? He was totally deliberate. In fact, there's this famous speech that he gave when he returned to Apple. Yes. He gave a speech to the employees where he spoke about the true truth of marketing. And although he didn't name archetypes by the name, but he spoke about archetypes. And he spoke about what, in his view, you've got to watch this, the speech that he gave in, I think, 96. That's a great way to, to, to sum it up. Uh, Dr. Nick, thank you so much. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to have you back and we're going to talk about marketing leadership. Thank you. Fascinated to hear your thoughts. Up next, I'm joined by Mona Lisa Sam, MD of Tungwa Retail Holdings, to discuss what retail mashup means. If you can't afford your own shop in a mall, this is an interview for you. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs>